Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the SNL Stats Roundtable podcast, the second of two podcasts we have for you this week to cover our midseason finale with host Kristen Wig and musical guest Dua Lipa. In case you missed it, we went live very late at night, right after Saturday night's episode, about 1.15 a.m. Eastern time, and we had so much fun. We were with Andrew Dick from That Week in SNL and superfan Sammy Kay. We had a bunch of people giving us their thoughts in the chat, and we got to answer questions. We will definitely be doing that again at some point this season, but that episode is out now on our podcast feed and on our YouTube page. Search SNL Stats and make sure to subscribe. But turning to this panel that we have right here, this week is the gift that keeps on giving because we have an excellent panel for our final roundtable of 2020. First up, he joined us in the preseason and all the way back in the Bill Burr episode. He is a writer, actor, improv specialist, and has worked with many SNL alumni. Dave Bachman, how you doing? Great. How are you? Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Everything going okay? It's been a couple of months since we've heard from you. It's been going well. I had to teach a sketch class on uh, the time when we taped this, so I, I'm back in the back in the ring. All right. Well, we're happy to have you back. Uh, next up, I feel like it's always a really big show when this guy joins us. He is the former host of his own SNL podcast on Rob Has a Podcast and the Post Show Recaps Network. Rich Tackenberg, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Hello, sir. Great to be back as always. Yes, I love the, for those who are watching on YouTube, I love the festive background Rich has set up for all of us tonight. A little holiday, getting the, getting the spirit, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And finally, I am so freaking excited to be podcasting with this guy. I'm like Sue at a surprise party right now. <laughs> he is the writer for Parade.com and podcast host covering all things reality TV, Lost Rewatches, Star Trek, and formerly SNL. Truly the jack of all trades. Mike Bloom, welcome to the show. How you doing? So I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so happy that you're so happy. I'm glad there are no windows in proximity so you don't have to jump in them or in the case in this episode, like gingerly step through them and then make your way <laughs> around the set to come back through but i'm happy to be here on uh snill states is that my like smoky robinson-esque read of this podcast name yeah i'm never booking a cameo from you so <laughs> it's fine I, I i think i would charge people for cameos like i have to pay them in order to have me talk at them for a while nice. exactly well mike um if, since this is your first time on the snill states podcast um <laughs> tell me a little bit about your history with snl for those who haven't heard from you before how'd you get into the show and and everything like that yeah, so I'm I'm a I'm a wee bab. I'm a youngin. Uh, so you know I had grown up with a lot of '90s SNL, particularly not experiencing it live. Usually, unlike the Comedy Central reruns that they would do sometimes in the afternoons, and that's how I took in a lot of the like. And obviously, you know, uh, the, my maturation process or lack thereof at that point brought me into the orbit of people like Adam Sandler and then Bride Proxy, like your Chris Farley, your David Spade, sort of out of that bad boy era. The first time that I really sort of, I would say, became an SNL fan was, I believe, in like the 2004-2005 era, and then really caught fire with someone who we're going to, you know, really be talking about in full in this podcast with like the Kristen Wiig, Andy Samberg, Jason Sudeikis mid-aughts section when Faye and Fallon and Polar were on their way out and these people were coming in. That is where I really found my my show uh especially you know i guess i came on with the digital shorts in a manner of speaking and i you know had been watching ever since i had the pleasure of getting to talk snl a lot with rich tackenberg as well as with mario lanza and several other individuals for a while but it's been a couple of years since talking snl 
And I'll, I'll fully admit here, feel free to, to rake me over the coals. You know, uh, before getting this opportunity, I didn't have that much of an intention of, of watching SNL season 46. Uh, I We can get into it, but I certainly had frustrations with modern day SNL that caused me to be like, life's too short. Let me, you know, if I'm not enjoying something and I feel like I'm, I'm doing the, the insanity test of trying, watching a bunch of things, expecting different results, I don't need to watch it necessarily. Let me check out YouTube the next day. Of course, I'm always granted the, loving, lovingly granted the opportunity to talk about things behind the microphone. And so to be able to, to come back to SNL and re-engage with it in like a semi-casual perspective Hopefully I don't aggravate, obviously, the super duper fans out there. But but I got to say, it's cool to take a, a different look at the show, considering the vast amount I had my nose stuck into it to, you know, peer away from the glass so much. I get to see so much more of what the little fish are doing that it's, it's a very different view of the aquarium. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get into it. So I want to hear your thoughts on everything and how you kind of got to this point. And, you know, for me, I I'm so into it. So I'm like in the the opposite view where it's it's nice to have somebody like you on the show who can tell me a little bit, you know, someone who stepped away for a couple of years and give their perspective. So we'll definitely get into that. Uh, let me start with Dave, though, because it's been a while since we heard from you. Yeah. Dave, give me your thoughts overall. Uh, we just finished the ninth episode of the season. We're at our mid-season finale, which most people mark as the halfway point through a season. So tell me what your thoughts are on season 46 so far. Well, I think, you know, they had such a huge hill to climb to uh, kind of reconfigure how to do the show that was so set in its ways for so long and uh, reconfigure literally everything from the writing to the rehearsing to the set building to the, um, the blocking of the show. Um, and they kind of had to do that again in real time as they figured it out. Um, just kind of giving a rewatch of the first, you know, the first six episodes uh, today, just kind of scanning through them again and how like clunky they all felt. I think they finally found how this is going to go now, um, which feels so much more better. Um, you know, I think they have a lot of work to do around the live sketches. I think the live sketch writing is a little flat um, compared to the pre-tapes and the weekend updates and the monologues. Um, but uh, the cast is finally gelling now that um, Alec Baldwin and Jim Carrey are not uh, taking up so much screen time uh, that um, people are really stepping up left and right. It's really kind of fun to see the new guard kind of like staking their claim and taking over um, those spots um, and that, that airtime. It's, it's, it's very encouraging to see. Yeah, I think we got a lot of good signs. Um, I would I would agree with with what Mike was saying is that, you know, the last couple of years, there's been a lot of things about the show that I feel like needed some improvement for sure. And I think we're, you know, starting to head towards a really good point in the show where we're transitioning to new things, which we're going to get into a lot of, but let me do a little bit of a, a touch with, with Rich about, you know, how you feel about the season so far now that we're halfway through. I mean, I think it's been strong. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there, you know, w when I look at the season overall, I look at kind of the weakest episodes and very much to what Dave was saying that even the weakest episodes during COVID are on par or better than the weakest episodes of even last year when they had a huge cast, huge writing staff in the offices, you know, pick of who they wanted to host. So a real testament to them to be able to sort of work under these, you know, adverse conditions, um, you know, and I would say, you know, one of the things I felt this season, and I don't know if it's the result of the, the restrictions or just this particular group is even sketches that I don't laugh at, I see them having fun. 
that. And I really enjoy the fact like this isn't for me or I think this is fundamentally flawed, but I love that you guys <laughs> are having a great time and not in a Jimmy Fallon, I'm laughing at something that's not funny <laughs> way, but in a like, we're just having fun up here. And when it works, it's really great, you know? So it's it's been really interesting to see what they do. Some episodes stronger than others, you know, but I think the, you know, as I said, you know, I think some of them have been more fun than funny, but still fun is not a bad way to spend 90 minutes of my week these days. Yeah. And Mike, why don't we get into a little bit more about, you know, what yeah. were the, the things that you kind of felt over the last couple of years SNL was lacking in comparison to when you fell in love with the show? Well, I think, you know, we're all on the same page here. And I agree with what what's been saying here that I feel like, and I think it's helped by the fact that this a certain administration is on the way out, that the over-reliance on celebrity cameos, at least from the episodes that I've watched, because I checked this out, I watched the Timothy Chalamet episode, I watched the Dave Chappelle episode, because that was one that was like, I'm going to check this out no matter what, uh, considering the you know magnanimity of what he brought four years ago. I'm happy to see that even though we had the the Jim Carrey Duvall, I don't really count Maya Rudolph. I would almost count her in the same realm as like a Tina Fey, a Sarah Palin of like, she's in house, sort of like almost with, with, you know, in the bubble next door. She's not a complete stunt casting. Let's bring in a celebrity to do stuff. But I mean, it just got goddamn ridiculous the past two years of what was it? Ben Stiller as Michael Cohen. And then uh, Melissa McCarthy was funny as Sean Spicer, but then they had to keep doing it. And then by far, in my opinion, one of the worst decisions SNL has made in the past 10 years, Robert De Niro as Robert Mueller, bringing him back again and again, reportedly one of the worst performers of live television when it comes to cue cards. Let's bring him back for our comedy show like seven times over. These were decisions that really boggled me and, and frustrated me. And I, I know that, you know, I checked out an interview with Taron Killam, I think, where I forget where it was on, maybe WTF, where he had said that, at the 40th anniversary, he at least the way he prognosticates it is that Lauren saw like all the celebrities talking about how important the show was and sort of realized like, oh, we could rely on them to bring stuff. And it's it's tough because it's brought the social media clicks, right? Because here's the thing. I've always compared it to you go out grocery shopping, you buy all this stuff for dinner, and then you order out. And it's like you have everything right there in your kitchen that you can use to make your own meal. Why are you spending more money getting something out that, yes, you don't have to do as much work for, but now these things are almost like rotting and losing their value sitting on the counter there. That, that's been one of my main takeaways. I guess one of the other ones is, you know, I, I think that the cast's overweening size was definitely one thing as well, where, you know, it, it did feel a bit more like even more so than in the early days, people just really shouting to be heard at certain points. And there were certainly fun things as a part of that. Uh, but, you know, I did feel bad for some of these, you know, these even someone like a Melissa Villasenor who had been part of the cast for so many years and barely had anything to do. Now, that being said, incidentally, this appears to be less of a problem this season because you have like Cecily Strong gone for six episodes, comes back. She was not in this episode for some reason. 80's been gone. Kate seems like I think she's going to be gone for the rest of the season. So, to, part, I mean, part of the season, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think to Dave's point, it's almost like an odd, like an audition or almost like a, a backdoor pilot for like what SNL is going to look like without these people. And to that point, I actually found it's like a fairly interesting gelled cast. I think for me, part of that was sort of watching those people who are very talented 
but stay in SNL season after season, I'm just like, you're, you're not bringing anything particularly new. And I'd rather give the spotlights to new voices that could do new things with this type of comedy than, okay, you know, let's have Kate McKinnon mugged to the camera for a little while longer. She's very talented in that regard, but I don't want to necessarily see someone who is going through the motions by year 10 on SNL. Keenan Thompson is, of course, the exception to every rule. So those were like my two big concerns with the season. And again, to, to state it again, I'm very happy that when I checked in here, though the episode, in my opinion, was not particularly great, at least compared to the Chalamet episode last week, I'm glad that there are trends going in a good direction. Again, maybe accidentally so, but it does seem at least my two primary concerns from like 2017 to 2019 SNL are on the way out for the time being. Oh, definitely. And, you know, De Niro couldn't even say live from New York. So I was going to say that before. But um, you're, you're totally right. Uh, this is what I said on Saturday. This was like my take immediately after the show was that what SNL did, the decision that they made, like in case you haven't heard my thoughts from a couple of days ago, make the decision to go from Jim Carrey to Alex Moffat as Biden is the best decision SNL has made politically in the last 10 years. It, it, like bar none, because what they took was they took a very underutilized cast member, which most people wanted to see more of, and they put him in the spotlight and it's going to completely change the trajectory of his SNL career. And I think, you know, moving away from the couple things that, you know, Mike was speaking about, which is really that these people coming in from the outside and stealing these roles from the cast members, and then also potentially moving on from this you know, giant cast that have stayed probably past their welcome and moving towards what the future of SNL is gonna look like. So let's you know, move on to that topic. Let's talk a little bit about the transition from Jim Carrey to Alex Moffat. Dave, we'll start with you. Yeah, I didn't mind Jim Carrey as much as everybody else in the country did. Um, you know, I was kind of excited for it and I got exactly what I was hoping for out of that. Uh, which was Jim Carrey, <clears throat> one of the best sketch artists of all time, uh, spending six weeks at Saturday Night Live. So just just find a dandy with that. Um, I think Alex is not only the best choice, but um, you know, so in his wheelhouse, the character of Biden. Uh, you know, there's a direct line from Eric Trump to the guy with a boat who just bought a boat. Mm, um, to, I was going to say to the Biden same thing. Yep. Of this overconfident white guy who puts his foot in his mouth without ever knowing it. Um, it's just, it's, it's perfect. Um, perfect for Alex Moffat, perfect for Biden. And I'm sure there's flashes, you know, I thought it was Sudeikis as soon as he walked out that curtain, it looked like him for a second. The makeup was so good. And then of course, when he got closer, you realize it's Alex. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. Wonderful. Good for Alex. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, he sounded a little bit like uh, George W. Bush at the beginning there. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a Southern lilt to his voice. Yeah, and he'll find it. He'll find it. He'll find the voice. And the writing, I think, is going just to be in Alex's wheelhouse uh, on top of that. So I'll let the writers have the take. And uh, he'll find, um, you know, going back at most presidential impressions, they didn't have it the first week either. It takes a couple of uh, outings to figure that out as well. Uh, to get the lilts right, and you know, I'm sure you know Daryl Daryl Hammond being in house can always help with that as well. So uh, I'm sure there's some, hopefully, some pointers to be given. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and on Saturday afternoon, um, I don't mind telling the story. I, I texted somebody who is closely affiliated with the show, and I after I heard the news about about Jim Carrey, and I said, um, "So are we getting Alex Moffat?" And my answer was, "Never in a million years." And I was like, Ooh. "Oh, okay. Well, um, that's not good." And then at eleven thirty, I realized they were probably effing with me. So mm. that, that's I was like, okay, well, uh, I'm happy. I'm super thrilled about this. But Rich, before I hear your thoughts on Alex as Biden, I did something interesting, which I, I I hope you don't mind. But I actually went back and I listened to a podcast that you did with Rob Sesternino in 2014 when Jim Carrey hosted. Okay. Okay. Uh, so hear me out. So you used to talk about this thing with Rob where you would talk about the good nights. And you used to say that if a cast member, or sorry, if, if a host had a moat between them. Yes. And the uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. That that was a sign that probably the host wasn't getting along great with the cast. And I just had this thing where I was thinking on Saturday, I knew you were coming on and I was like, I feel like I remember Rich saying that Jim Carrey had the biggest moat there ever was when he hosted in 2014. So I went back to check and you were like, I don't think the cast loves Jim Carrey. So I'm curious if you think that that is potentially somewhat of a creative decision on the show's part. Dave, I know you want to just jump in for a sec. For just for a second, because I know that Colin Jost loves Jim Carrey. Okay. He loves him. And that's, and that's one big difference, right? He was not a head writer back in 2014. Yes. Yeah. So Rich, give me your thoughts. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I mean, I do remember that. And I do. It's funny, we were watching the show. Uh, again, we we're watching on Hulu just just this last episode. And my wife was like, Oh, we have to sit through the good nights again. Like just she forgot that like, oh, yeah, we're I'm watching them a that's, third that's time. Thing after- between- yeah, that's yep. between that and Rich's rule of cameos. Like those are your calling cards for SNL podcasts. <laughs> yes. Oh, the good nights. I still I hear that music and I just it's it just touches. It's just it it's it is imprinted in me. That music just gets me in a state of just so such happiness. So, My wife is the yeah. same way. Oh, I love it. I just love it. And to watch the, you know, but you're right. We still, I still look for the moat to see, you know, I think that, you know, Carrie coming back and doing Biden was a little bit different because he was only in one sketch a night. So I think it was a little bit different than rehearsing sketch after sketch after sketch and having him be on the floor. I mean, I think that everybody must love, I mean, Carrie is, is unbelievably talented. I did get the sense when he came back to guest host that he was you know, he's from a different world. And I think that, you know, most, you know, the people that always work best as hosts are the ones that say, forget everything I know about sketch comedy or live TV, just what do you want me to do? Which I think we saw with Chalamet. I feel like he just came in and just went, just, I'm a rag doll. I'm going to attach myself to Pete Davidson and let's go. And I think that Carrie, when he came in, I think he came in with ideas and I think he Mm. came in with takes and he came in and I think that was hard. And I think that we saw remnants of that in his Jim Carrey impression, which I agree with Dave. I, I had no problem with uh, him as Jim Carrey, I felt like the writers never found the the to the voice, so we were sort of impression shopping. It was like he's a he's a doddered old man. He's Clint Eastwood. He's a badass, and I felt like, and I do think that that was probably a combination of Jim Carrey and the writers, kind of you know not quite gelling and finding that piece. Um, so I, I, but you know, but I have a hunch he was, you know, I think to come in and do it, he was probably, you know, quite liked the season for 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 just doing that. So, you know, and on the Moffat thing, I would, you know, I'll just say, you know, I one of the big things about using Moffat instead of Jim Carrey is we can have 
Biden in a sketch for three minutes. Mm. We don't have to have, because we're having an A-list movie star taking out of his time to come, we don't have to have a whole sketch about him. And that's such a relief that the comedy opens up when it's like, let's only use this character for as long as we can think of jokes. And as soon as the jokes aren't funny anymore, let's shuffle him off and move to the next piece. Whether that's Trump or Biden, that's what we've needed for so long long and I'm so happy that we're here. That said, SNL also does have a history of shopping impressions around. Let's hope that we don't see someone else show up doing it in January. I'm hoping that we give Alex Moffat a chance. So John, to your point, the, the best political decision made in the past 10 years of SNL, do we credit Jim Carrey for this? Do we credit the show for this? Has anything come out as to who specifically, whose decision was it for Carrey to not return? Okay, so from from everything that I could gather, uh, this was more of a Jim Carrey decision. That's that's what I was told. Um, my initial impression from conversations I had with people was that the discussions in the preseason was that he would be around for most of this season. But it seems that he's not local to New York and that he did not want to keep flying in to do this anymore. I think in Jim Carrey's mind, he did his service to the country by playing Biden and then now that Biden got elected, he's like, eh, I don't really need to do it anymore. There was some interesting questions that we had on Saturday night, which was like, why make this announcement, you know, prior to the show? Is it because, you know, they knew that Moffat was coming on and they wanted to prepare the audience? But my answer actually was, I don't think that SNL likes to do stuff like that. I think they wanted to surprise people. And I think that I don't know that the show actually intended to release this announcement on a Saturday afternoon when something mm -hmm. was happening on Saturday night. So there's a lot that goes into it. But what I, from what I can gather that it was probably, if I'm going to put like, numbers on it, I would say it was like 70% Jim Carrey not wanting to do it and like 30% the show correcting itself from, you know, potentially making a bad decision moving into the next few years. Um, but Mike, let me get your thoughts on it. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm very happy about it. Again, it, it feels very weighty in the sense of, again, when basically it was Kate McKinnon and a bunch of celebrities the past four years to now be like, okay, this is reliably going back to a cast member. It's cool. Granted, you know, we we have no idea what's going to happen. For instance, uh, until Obama was found by Jay Farrow, we had to suffer through Fred Armisen's version of Obama. So I'm not even going to think that or predict that it's going to be any good. Because I think it also depends on the writing as well. And to Rich's point... Uh, I, I do not know at this moment how they are going to write, uh, how they're going to write Biden, how they're going to write Kamala. It seems like Kamala right now is sort of like Miss Clapter in terms of just like she comes on, she says a big applause line, and there's not really a lot of humor mind from that. I'll be very intrigued moving forward because obviously with the Trump of it all, whatever side you stand on, there was a lot to talk about there. And I do wonder from a Biden perspective, like what are they going to settle into and I think that's going to determine how we receive the impression. So I love the meaning with which it brings. And look, was it the strongest thing? No. Uh, you know, I, I think while the Willy Wonka entrance, for instance, was a lot of fun, it was somewhat awkwardly staged where like you couldn't really see what was happening. Uh, but I hope that just irons out all the kinks in, in the time in between. Do we know? Because I know that Colin said on Weekend Update, like, this will be the last update when Trump is president. Are they not coming back until after the inauguration, assumingly, in late yeah. January? Right now, it's January 23rd at the earliest. It could actually be January 30th. Um, it's one of those. So, okay. 
Yeah. That's good. Give, give them a nice, you know, again, they, they're working under such weird circumstances, including like what they do five straight in that first, in those, that first six. Block of six. Yeah. Give them, give them like a, give them a month, give them two months off, like get, get, let them come back well rested and healthy. And then they can plow through. And that includes the writers as well. So hopefully they can figure out a voice in between then. Yeah. And, and like I said, I also mentioned this on Saturday, which was that uh, there is a chance we may get the five in a row thing again. That has certainly been discussed. So um, I hope not, but I guess we'll see what's going to happen. Um, Dave, what I wanted to ask you was, is that, you know, being someone who teaches improv classes, uh, can I ask you, where do you see this impression going with Alex and Biden? Like, do you have a take on it that you think would be effective on the show? Uh, do I have a, t a take on Biden impression? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, Biden and um, Jill Biden have a thicker Philadelphia accent. Um, pretty pretty thick, uh, if you listen closely. Uh, less so in Biden than it is in Jill Biden. Uh, but he, it's it's in there, too. Uh, he's, you know, we got that. Uh, so I'd start there. I'd start with the actual accent. accent. Um, I thought Jim Carrey's impression wasn't terrible as far as vocal inflection goes. Um, you know, but, uh, no one's really, even Jason never really grabbed, uh, he grabbed the goofiness and the energy of Joe Biden. Um, but no one really has sounded like him yet, I think on a whole. So I, I, I definitely start there as a, as a hot new take to actually sound like the guy. Um, but as far as, um, comedic takes, you know, there's the whole, you know, um, uh, just overly present and overly empathetic and overly listening and like just keyed in zeroed in on your pain and absorbing your pain. Uh, uh, I think that's um, the funniest take I can come up with yet on how he is flawed as a man. I think that's most, most characters when you're developing a character, you're kind of looking for their fatal flaw. Like what's the thing that's going to kill them in the end if they don't fix it. Uh, that's kind of what you're looking for uh, comedically when you're building something improvisationally uh, over a series of scenes. It's like what's the, what's the what's the one thing that's gonna um, that that personality trait? Um, and I think to me right now that is the biggest thing. I think we all have an overwhelming sense of love for this guy right now because he has to fix the country. I remember when we were at Boom Chicago, we had a scene that um, ended with uh, George Bush, George W. Bush, um, as the kind of the punching bag of that scene until 9-11 happened. And then they had to rewrite the scene because nobody wanted to laugh at George W. Bush for a solid year. And that, that closer of our show just kind of died and we had to rewrite it completely uh, and write him out of the scene. Um, so I don't think anybody wants to be making fun of Biden right now, but comedically I would go harder into this empathetic, I can see your soul. You can see the pain in your soul guy. Because uh, I think that's the funniest part of his personality so far. Yeah, to that point, it, it's interesting. I'll be very intrigued to see, honestly, when they come back, how SNL is going to tackle the Democratic Party. Because they've done it in certain aspects. But like one example I saw was Michael Che's two jokes about Cuomo. Uh, and the first one about, you know, uh, being accused of sexual harassment, which makes him the front runner for the 2024 presidential nomination. Uh -huh. And you could hear a pin drop. You could hear a mass drop off of an audience member's face. It was clear that to your point, Dave, that like, I think due to various circumstances, that is something that maybe people are not on board 
laughing at yet. And so I, I do wonder if that if that'll come with time as we more settle into the new normalcy that will be 2021 and a Joe Biden pre- presidency. If people will be like, okay, I think I think, and from the actor side as well of like, okay, I think we can, you know play more into this guy rather than him sort of being like, to your point, like the Clint Eastwood badass who took down Trump. I mean, think of the first time we really hit Clinton. I think that was that Phil Hartman running to McDonald's sketch, mm-hmm. right? And all they really had was like, hey, this guy, he he eats fast food. And he He's trying to work out and he's trying to cheat on with these French fries. And like, uh, you know, that's as, as hard hitting as that, that scene got. I think uh, actually the hardest thing is that there's a lot of things we won't be telling Mrs. Clinton about. Um, <laughs> he tells the Secret Service agent, uh, and those were just like little things that you'd hear because Clinton was such a new character on the scene at the time. Biden's been around a long time, and there's a lot to be making fun of him about uh, about his policy choices and his um, his priorities and uh, uh, his uh, his sniffing of hair. Um, there's you know there's, there's a lot of weird shit going on with Joe Biden, um, but I think right now everybody's a little trepidatious to make fun of this guy uh, and trip him up. I think we all just be like, can we just get back to normal first before we start like pulling the rug out of out from under him? Yeah, um, Rich, I, I like yeah. before I get to you, I just was gonna say the the thing that I felt that they were kind of going for, and I'm wondering if this is gonna be the take at least at first in January is like, are we gonna get like geriatric Biden, which is like that he's mm-hmm. like the old man who doesn't know what's happening around him, and then you have like Kamala like or Kamala gr- guiding him like through whatever's happening in the country. Like, I wonder if maybe that's where we're going with this. I don't know. What do you think? Well, when he first came out before he did the the Willy Wonka cartwheel, which is funny to people 50 and over, uh, I thought, you know, I thought we were going down the same the same route, which was interesting for me because I first had like, oh, no, are we doing this? And then I also had the feeling to myself of, you know, what, grow the up like we could like okay we can make fun of him he's not going to die if we make fun of him and if that you know if we want to paint him as that whatever like it's a dumb comedy show we should be able to be be comfortable <laughs> practicing what we preach and make fun of people on all sides of the political spectrum that said you know I am such a huge fan of the Will Ferrell style of impressions and I hope that Alex Moffat takes a page from his Eric Trump impression Absolutely. which is just invent the character. Mm-hmm. Who cares? I don't care what he sounds like. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he really does. Just like, you know, when when Farrell had to do Saddam Hussein, we weren't going, but did he really capture the <laughs> essence of Saddam? It was like, just make up somebody big and fun. That's what Kate McKinnon does. All her characters are now basically the same. Mm-hmm. They're just Kate's big, brash, whatever. And I hope that we take more of a, of a page from that and, and just sort of just, just go big and and workshop it on the air and let's see what happens and to that point i i want them to go big but in a, hopefully a solid way because i think now that we're also sort of like sending off hopefully beck bennett's mike pence in the cold opens i gotta say like guys the uh he hates gays because he's secretly gay joke went out about like the fourth time that he used it it's so, so to have it come back again i know that there's there's tough stuff to make fun of with this guy but it, it felt like basing the entire cope cold open around and i'm like yeah they never really figured out what to do outside of that so i think for many reasons it's okay to be done with him yeah if i have to hear beck bennett say mother one more time um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no I, I look i totally agree with you guys i think that you know i i, I believe that they wanted to test this out on saturday and they're going to take the next five weeks to workshop 
whatever it is we see in January. So I'm excited to talk about that when it comes back. Uh, does anybody else want to cover anything, you know, SNL politically before we move on to the episode from Saturday? All right, let's do it. So, Mike, let me start with you because you said you had some, you know, you, you, this was, you know, one of the episodes that you watched this season out of all of them and you weren't too thrilled with it. Um, I actually got a lot of positive feedback. So I'm curious, okay. you know, how you felt overall about the episode. Well, so what I realized actually was that this particular episode is such a representation of what type of cast this is in conjunction or maybe almost like rubbing up against Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig eras, Kristen Wiig's era was a character era of SNL, where it was her, Bill Hader, Jason Sudeikis, Andy Samberg, we knew them for characters, right? This was a big era for recurring characters coming back again and again, and especially like as they come up, across the screen below you, all that. Exactly. All and like chewing, chewing up scenery, you know, making big statements so that when characters come back and again and again, to be honest, you don't really need to do anything new. This era of SNL is a performer's era. It is an actor's era. This might be one of the best cast of actors we have ever had. And that's why I think Dave's point about, you know, the pre-tapes being stronger than the show proper has been kind of the case for like the past five or six years because these people are so damn good and the production is so damn good of like selling it even in a, in a small screen setting when it's not live that they just they knock it out of the park that i think a lot of other people like a will ferrell for instance he's more into the big broad style he's not into the more of like the nuanced you know acting that might happen in some of in some of heidi gardner's characters for instance and so Having Kristen back on the show, I sort of felt like those two styles were jutting up against each other in a really interesting way. There were certainly things that I liked, but I'll come right out and say that my least favorite parts were the recurring bits because there was literally nothing new. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not one iota was new. And there was stuff there. It could have been Target Lady you know, with like an anti-masker coming up to her and like demanding that she be served. You know, it could be Penelope making a Tinder profile, talking about all the things that she did. This is how you can take these characters and adapt them to new things. For one reason or another, they chose to do the exact opposite. And I actually really liked the last time that Kristen hosted back during the Thanksgiving episode, I think it was a few years ago. And I think in both cases, they've used her character sparingly but I think them leaning on that just reminded me of how I admittedly was a little soured on Kristen Wiig by the end of her era, just because of how much they lean on her coming back for those characters and how much, again, to go back to what I said before, I almost became a little more grateful for this cast of, yeah, we're, we're sort of past that. Like Kate still does it a lot. 80 does it to a certain extent, but that is very much not the vibe of this cast in general. This is a more like on the DL I'm Mikey Day. I'm going to say what the game of the sketch is in the sketch type of type of cast. And I'm personally fine with that. I like the different tones. So it was it was odd for me to see it. And I think especially from Chalamet, which I think was a complete surprise. I just think for a Christmas episode and an alumni hosted episode at that, I think it could have been better. And maybe them leaning resting on their laurels for a couple of sketches might have bit them in the butt here personally. 
Yeah, definitely. And if you go back to that last time she hosted, not the at-home one that she did in the spring, but the previous time that Mike was referring to, uh, the two recurring sketches that were in that episode were the exact same recurring sketches that were in this episode in the exact same spot in the show. Like, it was literally secret word at the beginning of the show, and then Mm -hmm. surprise Lady Sue at the end. So, uh, Dave, give me your overall thoughts on Kristen Wiig, you know, her time on the show, and then, you know, what you thought about Saturday. Um, you know, she's such a super talent. Um, my biggest problem with Kristen has always been these uh, recurring characters. Uh, Gilly, I'm not a fan of at all. Uh, Surprise Sue, I, I loved it the first time it happened, and I have not liked it since. Uh, Penelope, I've liked maybe once or twice. And um, I think what I've noticed about Kristen's time at the show is that how little integration she did with the other women in that in those casts. I feel like mm-hmm. you never saw Kristen collaborate on anything with Abby Elliott or Nassim Pedrad. You know what I mean? It was always a Kristen standalone sketch, and all the other characters in the scene were um, either uh, just straight-laced or just trying to get through the thing and then just being completely just bombarded or interrupted or cut away to Kristen. And it just, it, for the most part, most of those scenes go exactly like that, where it's just it's Kristen, Kristen. It's very much like uh, Mike Myers, uh, uh, energy, mm. um, where it's just like I am, I am, the, I am the whole, I am the son of the sketch, and everything is about this one character, and there's very uh, little interacting with it, and you kind of see that they replayed the Paul Rudd episode uh, on NBC um, from a couple years ago, where she guested, and uh, it was like the Sound of Music uh, one with the uh, uh, I don't know, yeah, 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 exactly. And and same- I'm Goonies. Exactly. It was the same kind of, it was that character in Sound of Music. And it was the same just kind of format as all the other Kristen sketches. Um, and they, they all kind of blend together for me after a while, where it's the same, not just the same cookie cutter within themselves, but the same cookie cutter of the showcase of Kristen Wig and this character. It's a Kristen Wig character showcase has a very specific format as a sketch itself uh, as well. And I just kind of get, I get, I get kind of tired of them. Um, but I do love, I love two a-holes so much, and I'm yeah. praying for the day that comes oh, back. Um, so I was so sad. I, mean, I, think we're, I think we're celebrating like the 15-year anniversary. I think that was like during that that infamous Jack Black episode, right, where they yeah. they premiered with the two a-holes buying a Christmas tree. Yeah, and I I was I don't know why they just stopped doing it. Her and Sudeikis were on the show together for years after that. They just stopped performing those two characters. I thought of all. I mean, I'm sure Sudeikis wasn't in town, but I mean, of all the characters to not be wearing masks at a target. I forget the target lady sketch. I want the two a-holes refusing to wear masks. Mm. You know, that, to me, that's the missing sketch for the week. Um, but uh, uh, as far as Kristen goes, you know, I, I love her in the other sketches. I'm just not a fan of her uh, recurring characters. Yeah, definitely. And you made a really good point about uh, like where she came into the show. You know, she was with this incredible group of women on the show. You know, Amy Poehler, uh, you know, Tina Fey. Um, Her and Maya and and Amy, to me, are the even the three best female combo they've ever had. Even more than. Kate, eighty, and, and Cecily. Yeah, we almost Even, had two, we had two thirds of Santa's my boyfriend there tonight on the stage. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those three together, to me, that's a powerhouse. But once uh, Maya and Amy moved on, Kristen didn't really collaborate with any of the other women on that show. Much of the detriment of like Casey Wilson and and Abby Elliott and all these and Jenny Slate and all these other women that just kind of came and went uh, during the Kristen uh, uh, tenure. It didn't seem like she's that. Uh, 
collaborative of a sketch performer unless you're Maya. Yeah, it's it's a really excellent point. And I, and I think that she kind of represents, as far as women on the show, like she represents almost this transition from this like all-time incredible group of women on the show and then this transition to kind of like the next all-time group of women with mm-hmm. Cecily, Kate, and Aidy. And, uh, and now as we continue to have more and more women on the show. So it is interesting to see her come back and kind of, um, you know, maybe not be able to do that still, uh, which is collaborate with other women on the show. But but with the Home Alone sketch, I loved it. I love the Home Alone sketch. I thought it was very funny and very uh, fun. Ironically, sure. Melissa's playing a boy in that sketch. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, well, we're going to talk about that in a sec. But let me bring Rich in. Let me get his thoughts overall on the episode. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, what we saw in this episode, you know, the effect of COVID, I think, in this episode is not what we saw. It's what we didn't see, because we know classically, mid-season break, Christmas episode, alumni hosting, this is going to be alumni cameo, just revolving door. We're going to see four alumni in the monologue, and that's how they often build these things, and it's super fun. And this, we had, you know, we had, as Mike said, you know, we had had Maya, who's basically cast adjacent for the season, so it doesn't really count. You know, I think that, you know, I agree with what you guys are saying. When the secret word card came up, (laughs) I almost broke my television set. I was so frustrated. I'm like, I'm looking at the SNL stats. I'm like, 10th appearance, that can't be right. It has to be 110, you know, but that said, if you are writing this show, you know, I talk about some sketches become Mad Libs. This is the absolute Mad Lib sketch. We have the sketch. We just need to write in the specific jokes. And if your writer's working in Zoom to try to get a show when you're completely exhausted, what's better than Secret Word? We're just going to come up with the new jokes and we're going to slot them in and then we're going to do it. Um, and I think that we saw a lot of that. I, I agree. I mean, and, and I will say, I blood boiling when she comes out as Mindy Grayson. And yet I laughed the whole way through the sketch. I hate mm. myself. I <laughs> I needed to take a shower. I was so disgusted with myself. Hey, that I laughed at every joke in that sketch. Rimming the tree is funny. All those like made up plays it's that great. she was in. It's funny. The titles are funny. The mutual yeah. numbers are funny. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, I would, and I want to say this about her because you guys have brought up such good points about Kristen I hadn't thought about. I will also say this: I wonder about the writing in that you know when Kristen's coming of age at SNL, she's either writing her own stuff or she's taking sketches written by other people and finding a character within them. And then I think you get to a point in SNL where you become the person everyone's writing for, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like everyone always talks about Jack Nicholson. He used to infuse his own thing into a standard character, and then people started writing Jack Nicholson parts and it became a parody. And I really wonder, like I look at like the USO sketch and go, is that sort of a victim of that? That now we are such fans of Kristen Wiig that we're writing almost like we're writing the Kristen into the sketch instead of letting Kristen find herself. And one of the things I think gets lost with Kristen Wiig is I thought Bar none, her funniest performance of this whole night was being the mom in the Christmas present pre. Completely and it great. Was and it was the, the most, most subtle, subtle, easy, light touch mm-hmm. 
perfectly done. It could have been too much. It could have been too little. And she just played it perfectly. And I and I hope that we see more of that. But I think when you're, you know, when you're doing, when you're bringing back Kristen, there's this like, people want to see certain sketches, people want to see some of the oldies. Uh, and, and I think they sort of play to that. But I would, I would love to see more about, you know, more mix up. But in general, I loved her in things like The Grinch, where she didn't have to be the star. I loved her in the, I loved her in a lot of, of the pieces, even if I didn't always love myself for loving her well that's it's a that's a really great point that i think i'll admit by the time kristen wig left snl and like went out for a comedy thing i'm like all right it'll be interesting to see what she does assuming she gets like her own vehicle where she can you know be big and brash to the camera but she is an incredibly talented actress if you've seen the skeleton twins uh you know if you checked out some of her other work i think uh most likely two i think is, is the, the the other movie that she did like she is so freaking nuanced as an actress, incredibly talented, not to mention Bridesmaids, which she is Academy Award nominated for in terms of writing. You know, she is capable of doing things that are not just like over the top. Oh, I'm going to do this now, but I'm not. But I'm going to do it again, but I'm not. I'm going to do it again. No, I'm not. Uh, you know, uh, and then, you know, it, I magnified that and turned that into 110 sketches to Rich's point. And then, yeah, I do wonder if it was just because of the reputation she gained from SNL in particular, it was like, well, Kristen Wiig's back. We know we have to go big and loud. And it's like, no, she is really capable of doing some incredible work that not everything needs to be. Kristen Wiig literally tap dancing at the camera, you know, putting on a funny voice and doing a funny expression. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, Bridesmaids is probably the last movie that an SNL alumni has made that is like really gone, like, you know, so big that everyone always references it. Um, so it's interesting that people were questioning how well, you know, she would translate off the show. And she did end up having some vehicles that really worked for her. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great point, Mike. Um, Dave, let me ask you, because um, I know you brought up this uh, Home Alone sketch. So maybe we'll, we'll sure. talk about that. And then we'll kind of get into some other ones that Rich and Mike and you liked. Um, uh, like I said, uh, this to me was was my personal favorite of the night. Um, I just love the heel turn that this at the end where <laughs> like I just um, here. Actually, let me ask this. Mike, did you see uh, this whole thing about Pierce Morgan uh, looks exactly like the. Yes. Uh, yes. OK, so that was that was running through my head that uh, on the Internet for the last few weeks, everyone was asking if Pierce Morgan played the bird lady from Home Alone 2. So I just I couldn't get that out of my head when I was watching this. But um, as I was watching the sketch happen um, and just the heel turn of the bird lady killing Marvin Harry, I just thought this is just so like it, it was just so ingenious. Uh, Dave, what did you think? Uh, that moment reminded me of that time when Will Ferrell kills Chris Parnell with a trident 48 times. You know that <laughs> sketch? There's just blood squirting everywhere, which is one of my favorite sketches of all time. Um, and uh, so that moment alone to me was so funny and uh, so such a funny way to take that scene. Um, I guess of all the live sketches, uh, there wasn't that many. Um, this is probably my favorite. I didn't really care for the other ones at all. Um, so yeah, as far as live sketches goes, this is, this would be my favorite by default. This and this is sort of like, I feel like this is also a tenant of the the modern day SNL, particularly like the Mikey Day Streeter Seidel thing. I don't know if they were the ones that wrote it, but it feels like they are so pop culture centric that they'll take some like random factor. Because who the hell's thinking about Home Alone 2 outside of Piers Morgan comparisons from the past like 25 years? You know, who the hell thought at this point? No, 2020. I think we're gonna we're gonna really talk about how Kevin was kind of a dick for not offering a hotel room to the pigeon lady. For them to to trot this out is so 
random, but feel like this, I don't know why when I see this and the first thing I think of is like the Bart Simpson during the Google talk sketch from several years ago. Like that feels like, again, very reminiscent of this era of let's make random references to like the nineties and two thousands and put this in. I thought Chris did a good job. I thought, uh, you know, surprisingly Kyle Mooney and Mikey day actually were a pretty interesting Marvin Harry. Uh, I know, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to impersonate Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, but they did a fun job. I, I don't know, man. Melissa Villasenor is an incredibly talented person. She showed that last week with her Dolly Parton impression. I still think her way of delivering lines without being in character is awkward as hell. Uh, and so I couldn't tell if she was trying to do like a Macaulay Culkin impression or if that was just like her being Kevin McAllister. But it was something that kind of took me out of the sketch temporarily before I was brought in by several blood packets in my mouth at once. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe we would get like a stunning Jim Brewer, Joe Pesci, but you never know. Yeah. Um, so, so Rich, what did you think of that sketch? <laughs> it was my least favorite sketch of the no whole way. Night. Wow. <laughs> I love that you guys loved it. I love that we all respond to different things. Uh, you know what? Hey, it was it was a great idea. It reminded me so much of the "It's a Wonderful Life" alternate ending from uh, from back in the uh, mm. which it was that sketch, except it just wasn't done. I don't think nearly as well. Um, now that said, I am not a Home Alone two fanatic. I am not of the age where uh, you know it resonates with me in a way. So maybe that was it. Um, and I and I, I'm you know I don't want to cast too much shade. But but I, I got to agree with Mike. I felt like this was basically a monologue by Kristen, and I felt like she did not have a strong person playing Kevin, so that it didn't feel to me like a two-person scene. It felt like a person just throwing the line so that Kristen Wiig could say funny things. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the uh, the sort of game of the sketch became very obvious very quickly, and it took us a long time to get there. Um, so. Probably not my favorite, but I, I love that you guys loved it. And you know they cut they cut about like ninety seconds off of it from dress rehearsal, so it could have been. I really could say yeah. that, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but Rich, tell me, give me another one that you like then, and we could talk about that one. I mean, I loved the Grinch sketch for it's just what the f are uh. you doing? I mean, I thought that was. I wouldn't even say it was like the funniest sketch of the night. I just loved this real irreverence, this real awkward like and the fact that Kristen Wiig was completely comfortable being now a star this felt like a Buck Henry sketch from the 70s of like you had a yeah well that was Grinch. like a almost his like weird pedophile character like uncle yeah the uncle something. something I can't remember oh. uncle Buck or uncle I can't remember what it is yeah yeah um so I just I I don't know that I would say that the Grinch sketch was hilarious, but I, I really liked it a lot. I just, I loved that they were very comfortable going there and, uh, and just, and a lot of fun jokes and playing, uh, and, uh, and just, and that awkward feeling I had while watching it while also laughing was, was really refreshing. Yeah. It's, it's uncle Roy. Sorry. I was going to get killed if I didn't say it, but um, I've been, I've been, I've been yeah. reading the, uh, the one SNL a day, uh, blog. And so I think I, I, I stumbled upon my first uncle Roy appearance. I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot they were making like out and out pedophile characters back in the seventies as jokes. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, my man Stooge writes those blogs. So, uh, great job Stooge and keep it up. Um, so, uh, so Mike, tell me about uh, any other sketches that you want to talk about. Some maybe some you liked, some you didn't like. Yeah, so I'll talk about the Grinch for a second before I move into one that I really liked because sure. yeah, with the Grinch, I mean, I got to give it up for Pete Davidson. He is one of those people that, along with Leslie, for the longest time, I'm like, you are not, you are not sketch comedy people. Like some, you know, you have your Colin Quinns occasionally who are like not sketch comedy people, but like found their niche. 
you you do not fit in here. Go shoot your movies. Go do whatever you need to. I got to say, between this and the Chalamet episodes, I have become surprisingly positive on Pete Davidson now. I don't know if it's just like him having this new lease on life, him just like, but he is, I mean, I, I, it's a really a low bar, but he's no longer playing himself in sketches. Uh, he is really steering into the curve. We saw this in glimpses a few years ago when he was uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and he was like doing that whole like, what, what'd you say stuff in the locker room that I, I was so desperate to see more of that. And him playing the Grinch, who I didn't even recognize for a little bit, like he fully got into it speaking of embracing a jim carrey role when they're not even there uh for him to be able to do that and the stuff again last week makes me very happy that a i think pete's doing well and b that he seems to be into sketch comedy more than just being the kid that appears on weekend update uh and someone who like sticks out a little bit for having so many tattoos but in terms of a sketch that i really liked rich mentioned it before i i have to go to the the you know family tape pre-tape thing i guess you can call it a musical number because it is sort of like a rap but this is another thing that snl does really well i'm thinking of like the macy's sketch from last year which was certainly a highlight of season 45 of like really taking relatable slice of life topics and like building it out to a big level and so to have you know i was watching this with my wife and as soon as kristen says i got a robe she like immediately turns to me and granted she's been a mother for like not even two years but she nods like she knows like how true that is that for some reason moms always end up on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to gift giving and they only get robes and she has to go like, you know, the kids, everyone's going around with these ridiculous gifts. And then she has to keep coming back to either saying the robe or, you know, I'm, I'm going to go cook. I love the, the, the existential stuff of I keep the pain inside of me, but it really brought me home with the dog between Chloe Feynman's oh. adorable dog and the fact that they said like, oh, here's this thing, because you know it wasn't going to be presents for her. But I was very surprised that it was presents for the dog. And then just the kicker at the end of how they got the dog a robe was, was oh, the best. It, it really was, the was perfect it was, ending. Yeah, perfect really my, ending. My, my favorite sketch of the night. It's what this this era does best of like really taking, you know, almost like a stand-up stuff of like, do you ever notice this? And really building in that fantastic production quality they have to make something really special. I also love how they take the picture and they post it on the internet immediately. Yeah. Uh, right. Immediately. Just post it immediately. Uh, yeah. That was lovely heightening. Yeah. I, I was talking to my mom last night and uh, she, she, I'm like, Oh, what are you doing? And she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm preparing Christmas. Chris. Um, I said for who? And she was like, Oh, for the mailman and the newspaper guy. And I'm like, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, I better not get her a robe. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we could totally relate to that. Um, Okay, uh, Dave, what about you? Anything, any other sketches that you really want to touch on? Oh, the uh, teacher pre-tape was fantastic. I really, mm. really enjoyed Ego and Andrew in this. I thought it was uh, super duper. I didn't wasn't crazy about the out, uh, the Kristen. It just kind of felt like a weird out. But I thought Ego was doing such a super job in this scene. The writing was top-notch, and um, it, was, it was making me laugh out loud. So I just want to give a proper shout-out to Ego, who, uh, the, the writer of that sketch and then andrew finally getting his star turn yeah it's so it's so interesting watching this episode and i'm being like wow this andrew feature player must be getting so much play and i guess he really hasn't until this episode i guess like he's one of these beneficiaries right of like some of these mainstays being out of the cast like he has the opportunity now to to show up in more places yeah exactly Now, let me ask you guys, when a teacher started, did anyone think the reveal was not going to be Ego, but it was going to be Gilly? I was totally Ooh. waiting for Gilly to show up in the I, sketch. I thought it was going to be Chad. 
I thought it was going to well, be. And <laughs> it's funny. I thought it was going to be Gilly. And then in my head, I'm like, wait a minute, a Gilly Chad sketch. That would be a tightrope. It would either be the worst sketch in the history of television or genius. There was a Gilly Chad sketch. My first text is going to Rich Tackenberg to ask. How yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure, though, I think we did a Chad sketch before with a professor. I can't remember yeah. who it was. So it was like, that's what I might. Cumberbatch, I think. Yeah, that's what it was. Because he was the professor. My immediate train of thought was like oh we've already done this before why would we do it again to dave's point i mean this goes back to what i said before about this era really being a performer's era because ego mm -hmm. modem knocked it out of the park and again to your point when when kristen comes in and is sort of like hamming up a bit more than ego who is just so like to the point i loved how much she was shutting down everything it, it was a really well done performance compared to like someone coming in and being like oh hello sir yeah, she said you're a C plus student. That doesn't get me hot. Yeah. Oh, and what I love to you guys, point, I, I really that performance was great, and it was what we talked about is similar to the to, to Kristen the mom sketch. It wasn't let's create this big character Mindy Grayson. It was let's actually play it straight. What if this crazy thing was true, and how would you know, ego as a teacher react. And just that's what made it so fun. And I also yeah. think to Dave's point, that's why the button felt a little bit because it was like, nope, and we're back in crazy land again. And I, yeah. it, that was that was a bit of a mess. But I love that when they find that thing. And I think even in the cold open, we had some fun moments, which were not, let's do big, crazy reenactments, but let's just take this moment of, oh yeah, Mike Pence was wearing a short sleeve shirt when he was getting the getting the vaccination. And let's just put a sort of a little bit of a, a little bit of spotlight on it and move on, which I think is really great. Yeah, like the, you know, again, say what you want to about Kate's Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, but I love just like referencing the hair dye bleeding, right? Because then you go into crazy town with, you know, my body fluids are trying to to leave my body. <laughs> I will say, you know, to back to Dave's point about maybe Kristen's interaction with previous female cast members or lack thereof, the monologue might have been to Rich's very first point, one of the best, like maybe fun, not necessarily funny, but most fun moments of the episode, because you could tell Kristen genuinely had a great time with Maya, and it was surprising to see Kate there. Uh, to your point, maybe it would have been a different alumni had maybe certain restrictions not be in their place. But I love that monologue just because, like, yes, it was a musical number, but it was so freaking silly, and it reminded me of like things I would sing to myself. Like, I would definitely sing my favorite things and sing like, you know, when the bee stings and the other bee stings. I simply remember I'm allergic to bees, and then I don't feel my legs. Like, just doing a lot of stupid things like that it doesn't need to be completely smart comedy and so i loved you know getting to that even though i don't know i will go to my grave saying that my favorite things is not a christmas song considering the context from which it comes from speaking of sound of music <laughs> yeah totally uh totally fair um you know one of oh sorry actually uh, i remember now that uh, somebody on twitter asked me why kate didn't say live from new york because there is a count going because she's getting pretty close to daryl hammond i think she's about 16 behind hammond who is the all-time leader and uh, the reason being is that she was in the giuliani um costume and she mm -hmm. get ready for the monologue so if she wasn't in the monologue she probably would have said live from new york with everybody else from the cold open um let's talk weekend update that's, you know, what I really want to get into. It was by far the longest weekend update. Um, I'm sure our stats geek, Mike Murray, can tell us. It, longest uh, weekend update we've had for the season. All three characters go to the Chase side of the desk, and we had a joke swap. So, um, Rich, uh, I want to come to you first, because when Willie came on screen, I couldn't help but laugh. So <laughs> he's back. 
the ninth time Willie, you know, you know, like so much with Kenan Thompson is he just wears me down. He'll do a character <laughs> to the point where I want, I just hate it so much. And then he just keeps doing it and it makes me laugh again. So this was another Willie came out and I was like, Oh my God, are me? Are you kidding me? And then it, you know, it did make me laugh. I, I yeah. he's been doing this so long. I think that they've had to get a new wardrobe for him. I think he's outgrown. You know, he's older than the wardrobe that for the character. But it 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 was fun. It was it was Willie was fun. It was a it was a it was a good outing. And it, you know, like uh, like Secret Word, I was primed to not like it, and I still it still made me laugh. I will say it did not make me laugh as much as Chris Redd as Smokey Robinson, which I thought to me was the highlight. That I thought was really fun, really a mm. great take. That's interesting because I would say that actually Landis Trotter might have been my highlight of Weekend Update. Though I think that me also too. might come from our various circles because as someone who interacts on the reg with, you know, like Instagram influencers or wannabe Instagram influencers that definitely hit me in a certain regard. But yeah, going back to Willie, I mean, it's interesting that you, the stat is that Willie has not returned in almost three years because to your point, Reg, I feel like there was a while where we were seeing Willie all the time. So I'm happy they retired the character for a bit, but Lord, is this dark. I mean, I love when stuff goes dark, but this felt especially dark, especially the lethal injection joke was rough. But I did, uh, I, maybe my one of my biggest like laugh out loud moments of the night was, uh, you know, the whole going down to the nursing home to beatbox. For some reason, that image and the specific use of the term beatboxing as the way of spreading saliva just really had me fits. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I... I like Willie. I thought Smokey was good, but Landis Trotter stole it for me. Um, her Merrill Lynch joke, and then the the way she handles the Merrill Lynch taglines, as if she's all of a sudden becoming like uh, Fox Sports uh, football mm. uh, tagline. She just reads these Merrill Lynch uh, X-ray imaging things the way that like Al Michaels would uh, during Monday Night Football. It was so funny to me. I I thought that was such a brilliant satirical take on uh, commerce and the internet. Um, I thought the rest of Weekend Update was fantastic. Weekend Update has been the highlight to me all year so far. I think the jokes have been solid. And um, of course, the, uh, the st uh, writing each other's jokes uh, were all A-plus jokes. Um, I, across the board, the jokes were fantastic. But for me, Landis was uh, a new revelation. I love her new characters, that and the, uh, the 80s coked up wife uh so she she's Hattie just keeps coming out with these new weekend update characters where she just destroys i'd love to see you know a whole heidi show like kind of like mm -hmm. model on the on the crawl show um but yeah i like i like landis trotter a lot that was a fantastic take it was great um and, and mike um if you can i ask you what your opinion overall has been on the the jost and che era of weekend update on snl yeah, so I mean, to Dave's point, I think the past couple of years, they were always sort of the like the buoy standing strong and maybe a more torrential sea. Like it always felt like they had something to go to, whether it was because of the political scene was rife for material or it was just like their own, like no matter who other people are playing, Jost and Che are always going to be Jost and Che. And it's felt especially like Che was bringing a more of his own personality, his more unorthodox Stuff too, because that's the thing as well. As I, I do think there's certainly been discourse about like, okay, do we really need weekend update to be in this variety of like turn to the camera, 
say a joke and then, you know, alternate back and forth, which is also more of a microcosm of SNL in general of do we need to, to have certain conventions happening. So I, I feel like, you know, especially checking in with them in 2020, it, it does feel like they've gotten extremely confident uh, in the way they're doing stuff. They're also, they also seem to be going very dark with their jokes, which seems like something that they're very into, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Santa mall Santa exposing kids to COVID is the second worst thing a mall Santa could expose children to. I think like those types of things, I'm glad they're into it because it's something that they really enjoy. The read each other's jokes thing. Uh, I'm interested to get your guys' thoughts as to like, should this be a semi-annual thing? Does it become less special time in and time out? Because I will say, you know, part of me is like, okay, we're just getting Colin Jost to say racist stuff. At the same time, you do get things like Michael Che saying, rest in power, King to Jeffrey Epstein. And of course, maybe the joke of the night, the Scar Joe reference, which is just, that was just the icing on the cake and an incredible way to send off update for 2020. I look forward to it every time. I wish they would do that every episode, honestly. Yeah, the Scar joke was great. <laughs> um, but um, Rich, let me let me hear what you think. Uh, do you think that this should be something that we hear more often or it's just special for a mid-season finale and a season finale? Oh, I like it where it is. I mean, let's not kid each. Uh, this is a brilliant device to be able to tell racist jokes on network television twice a year. That's what it is. And, and it's, and it's brilliant. And, you know, and, you know, uh, the way their, their responses is, is really interesting because we're, we're not laughing at the racism, we're laughing at the performer's response to having said the racism, which is meta that you can only get away with a certain amount of times. If you start doing it on a more often basis, we're just making racist jokes on television. So I think this works great. It is, it, I love the watching them watch each other. I mm -hmm. love, I love watching not the punchline. I love watching their eyes when we know they have mm -hmm. read the punchline line but they haven't said it yet and yeah. their eyes of just that moment of oh my god and the fact that they keep powering through and they will say they do sell the jokes which i really appreciate they they don't throw them away which makes That's the power. work really well yeah there's a great version of this i don't know uh, some of the older uh, late night with seth myers is his uh writers would write him um uh mirror confessionals where he would look in the mirror and uh read affirmations about himself that he hadn't mm. read that his writers had written for him where he would read live on air i guess not live it's not live it's taped on air but it had the same effect of just watching him respond to these burns basically uh, uh about him these jokes about seth that he was saying out loud to himself it's, it's, it's the same kind of effect if you're if you're a big fan of that kind of humor well, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that was like part of Stefan too, right? That Bill Hader was legitimately breaking because Mulaney had thrown something in at the last minute. And it brings, again, that element of spontaneity that as much as it really chuffs Lauren or did in the past, it really livens up that live energy of like, like you said, Rich, when you see that Shay and Joe are reading like a few words ahead and realize what they have to say and you can like hear the gears turning their heads of like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this. As much as if we've, this is probably what the seventh or eighth time that we've done this, it does work every single time because that reaction happens. Yeah, and people have asked logistically, like, how does this work? Like, haven't they already seen the jokes because they've done this in dress rehearsal? And it's a little bit of yes, a little bit of no. Like, some of the jokes are from dress, but they do, like, the same thing they did with Stefan, where they 
keep a couple things that they can throw in for the live show to get those like really extra reactions. I don't know if the ScarJo or the um, <laughs> the Rosa Parks stuff, I don't know like, what was particularly different, but um, that is how I believe it does work. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about uh, sketch-wise from this episode? Or if not, we'll just move on to some MVPs from the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I will say, uh, you know, the the 40 sketch is probably like one of the more original sketches, even though that was it was sort of based on like if you watch the first five minutes of the movie White Christmas, that's the first thing that I saw when I saw like Beck and Kyle doing that tap dance. I gotta say, I love Bowen Yang. I still think he's I don't know. You guys can let me know about season 46, season 45. It's felt like felt, felt like he was still trying to find himself. And this feels like quintessential Bowen Yang. So I'm hope I'm I'm hoping they could have him do this stuff more of like you know bringing a, a 40s energy to like this you know weird version of the NSYNC's the call or Backstreet Boys the call about you know what what are you doing and the fact that they gender swap the characters for whatever reason yeah so that was the that was the thing that that I mentioned about the sketch which was I felt that there was two very different jokes here one was that like he was playing a woman and that Kristen was playing a man but then also it was like 2020 music in 1940s and I just mm -hmm. felt that like those two jokes like just I don't know, like they crossed streams and they didn't work. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody else agrees with me. Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably one of my lesser sketches because I mean, it was great energy. But yeah, I kind of couldn't quite lock into what are we laughing at? What, you know, other than, you know, a very classic SNL trope of amateurs are supposed to do something and then it turns into this big number. I prefer the Cecily Strong bits where it would, you know, they're at a dinner party and they start singing, but it's so over top in a very specific it, it's over the top in the oh we all have those friends that don't know how to do anything midway they have to do everything over the top mm. this was i'm laughing at the premise but i'm not i don't relate to any of the characters of like oh my god i know who that person is um but again great bow and yang you know you know i think 46 mike hasn't seen has really been a real season of bow and yang and what i love compared to 45 is more often than not now bow and yang is playing a character that is not necessarily Asian. He's just a character and they've cast Bowen or Bowen has written it as opposed to season 45 when he was playing the Asian characters and sketches. That's so good. I've, I've loved him this season. I think he's or, been great. Or even from that, you know, I, I was hoping he wouldn't fall into like the Terry Sweeney role of like, well, let's throw to the gay guy for the gay joke too. And it seems like they sort of gone past that. To your point, Rich, I think what didn't help the sketch is there was no straight man. Which was a really interesting choice to me, well, right? The that, audience was supposed to be the straight man. But I they think. weren't. They were like, oh, look what's happening now. Like other you'd think usually yeah. they'd be like, what's going on here? I don't understand what's happening. But no, they were all buying into the performance, which again is unconventional, but didn't help, I think, the audience anchor into someone being like, again, that Mikey D character of like, wait a minute, this thing is strange for this particular reason. As you know, yeah. as fundamental as it is, sometimes you need that. It's a slight difference between Mikey Day straight man and Chris Parnell straight man, whereas Mikey Day is like, wait, what? Let me repeat what I think is happening, whereas Parnell is more like, I don't like what's happening. I'm going to give you one more shot. I yeah. think to me that is like, for me, so much more of an effective straight man role. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, guys. So let, let's move on to talking about the cast a little bit. Like I said, we're in kind of the, the unofficial midpoint of the season. So, um, you know, Mike will do from the episodes that you have seen or from everything like that. But if you guys will go around the, the round table, uh, Dave, I'll start with you. Give me your MVP for the first half of the season. It could be more than one person, but you know, some, you know, the couple people that you think really stood out to you. 
for me, uh, you know, I, I love, I love Ego stepping up in her writing, uh, taking more on. I think the weekend update writers have uh, really stepped up. I think that whole team has been fantastic. Um, I like everything that Chloe Feynman has done yet. I don't think she's had a false note yet. I'm really enjoying everything, but to me, I think Heidi just destroys at least once an episode uh, and just brings it hard once, at least once an episode, if not more. And I, I think she's going to be, as soon as the old guard leaves, she'll be, it'll be the Heidi Gardner show. So as I think Ego and Chloe and the Weekend Update writers have been fantastic. I, I, I have to give an MVP to Heidi. Okay. And Rich, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at, you know, some of the, you know, I think Ego is just having a great season. She's good in everything. Chloe, I think, is giving Heidi a run for the mo her money, and Heidi was a standout before Chloe came to the, ga to the gang. Bowen is really strong. Um, you know, I still really like Mikey Day. I really liked that he was in a lot more sketches this week. I think that he got a little bit overlooked uh, by other people, and I think that of, of the men in the cast, I think he's one of my favorites, taking out a Keenan who's kind of now sort of on that Mount Rushmore. He's like a god uh, at this that, point. Yeah, he's untouchable. Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's he's I think I think he's doing really well. And Chris Red, I mean, I think Chris Red's been doing a lot of interesting stuff too, kind of in a different lane and but you know, but doing a lot of different stuff. So, it's a really strong cast, but I think, you know, if you're only in a sketch or two a night on average, you got to be worried because there's some real heavy hitters coming up in the featured players that are are putting a lot of good comedy on tv right now yeah mike what do you think all right so granted my opinion is very limited so prepare for these takes to be hot i do agree with with dave that i think heidi is probably one of the best actresses we have ever seen on the show what she is able to do is incredible in that she is able to like really give nuanced three-dimensional takes to a stupid character that's supposed to pop on for two minutes and i think that continues even something like last week with like her playing the straight man in the you know, Honda days or whatever it was sketch, I thought, you know, she can really do it all. And that is a great sign to me of an SNL star. I'm going to, I'm going to give it up to Beck Bennett for really holding down the fort. He even, I think made mention of this during the infamous like Thanos snap sketch last season of like, he, he always is reliable to play like big dumb idiots. And that is much more deceptively tough to play than you may think. But I think Beck has been used very well as a good utility player, certainly more than Kyle. I still feel for poor Kyle. Like, he has a niche, and they 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 try to find places for him, mostly playing kids, I think. But I think Beck has been the one to certainly find more daylight in terms of, uh, you know, finding utility in the cast. But I don't know, guys. I don't know if this is a, a hot take at all. But from what I've seen, my MVP of Saturday Night Live Season 46 so far is Pete Davidson. Mm. And it, it might just be expectation, but like from what I've seen between last episode, between the greatest this episode or the stew uh, Christmas music video, which has been, I think, one of the biggest yeah. viral hits out of the first part of SNL's 46th season. He has impressed me immensely and has shown to be like, finally, I think, becoming the strong performer that Lauren was looking for when they first brought him on as the youngest cast member ever. So maybe it's just due to defying expectations, but I've been sufficiently impressed by Pete. And especially, you know, in, in a season where some of these other bigger names have been touch and go either in sketches or just like Kate, for instance, was in the first two sketches and like didn't show up the rest of the night. Pete Davidson has been able to make his mark on a good amount of these episodes this season. 
Yeah, and uh, I think he also did the Count Chocula in the Chappelle episode. Yes, so, yes he did. So he's just uh, been getting into costume and and doing his best. And I, I have been really impressed with Pete. And I hope it's you know you know he he I hope he really wants this this because he has the potential to be an excellent cast member. Um, for me, um, it's kind of like I, I know I'm repeating a little bit, but I'm really impressed. You know with what Rich said with regards to the featured players. Like you know we have some excellent people coming up, and we had. Uh, Jesse David Fox on the podcast last week, he's from Vulture and he interviewed Lauren in the preseason. And, you know, he was talking about expectations for this season. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much out there that some of our cast was going to leave in the spring if it wasn't for COVID and then wanting to come back for one more season. So my expectation is that we still have one half of a season of some of our players who've been around for, you know, seven or eight years now, and then starting next year. And I expect it, you know, probably the end of 47 going into 48, we're going to have like the, the final cast that we're looking towards, um, you know, towards season 50 of the show, which will be, you know, this epic and crazy moment for the show. So I really think that there's a lot of potential in these young players between Chris, Heidi, Ego, um, Lauren, we haven't, you know, still seen a lot of, um, Andrew, uh, Chloe, Bowen, and Punky. So I'm excited about that. Um, Dave, do you want to touch on that? I love all the new people. I, I don't think there's a stinker in the bunch yet. Um, I would love to see just more of Lauren and Andrew. Uh, just to see what they got them there. I don't want them to get Luke Nolte, where uh, they hired him because it's fantastic singer, uh, 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 musician, and not once do we get to see that mm. <laughs> is in a full season. So they hire these people for a reason. Let's just get them at a ten to one for God's sakes, and just show us what they auditioned with at the very least, uh, and help us out. You know, you might, you might. Uh, Soar, you might, you know, you might have like a John Radnisky uh, in the middle of update doing some sort of weird pantomime thing. Uh, who cares? <laughs> just get it out there and let's let's see it uh, uh, fail or fly, either one. But um, I'm kind of excited for the new guard, for the old guard to leave a little bit. Um, you know, I hold on to Cecily as long as humanly possible. Uh, but uh, everybody else, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. And let, so let's, you know, the last thing we're going to do tonight is let's turn towards 2021. So all mm. 2020 is in the book. Let's talk a little bit of our expectations for 2021. Um, we'll go around the round table. Give me, you know, one thing that you want to see the show work on for 2021 that you will think will enhance the show as we move forward. Um, Dave, I'll go back to you. Yeah. I want to see more. I'd like to see some recurring characters. I think some, some attempts at recurring characters from the new guard. For the new folks, uh, we haven't had one I think since uh, 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 Trade Daddy from Bowen. Uh, mm. You know that was that was a nice new character and uh, some of Heidi Gardner's Weekend Update characters. But I'd love to see some uh, some character work from these folks. Um, and uh, we can talk about hosts a little later on. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, we'll right. we'll go around and then we'll go to that. So yeah, um, I like to, I like to see some stabs at some recurring characters from the new folks. Rich, what about you? You know, I you know, it's I, mean, I think we now know it's going to be a, a COVID season. I mean, I don't think we're going to get through you know to to the end of the, the season finale outside of COVID. So, you know, I love the idea that we have less cameos. I think I would love to see more screen time of the people that are hired to be on the show rather than people who are going to stop by. I agree. I'd love to see more characters. I would love to see them continue. You know, in the writing. You know, instead of going for the big character noticing these moments like that like you know the fact that moms never get 
good Christmas presents, like focusing on, you know, you know, looking at pop culture. And instead of saying we have to just reinvent the, you know, the, the presidential debate, taking like watching a teacher and having someone like Ego's character say, how would a real, you know, teacher react if the, if a kid was coming on to her and playing those moments? Because I think those are memorable. And I think those are the things that would sort of stick to us more than just laughing that we actually relate to. I think that'll be good, you know, and I'll say this is not really your question, but I really do wonder when we come out of all of this and the entire cast and crew has the, you know, the vaccinations and we're back to hopefully season 47. Will, will this have been the season where we were swinging the bat with the weights on it for an entire year? What can this group do? What will come out of the production of SNL that they go, we were doing it that way for 45 years and it took a pandemic for us to go, we don't have to do that anymore. And <laughs> what is, so I'm yeah. so excited to flash forward and see what season 47 comes. I think these guys are gonna be fucking unstoppable. I'm really excited for that. But we've got another half season for them to sort of swing that bat with the weights on and see what they can do. Yeah, uh, Mike, what about you? Non-political cold opens, uh, especially, you know, it's, it's a wish. It's really is on my wish list, but especially getting to go back through the 1970s uh, via that one day SNL blog. You know, it's it's so interesting to remember a time where like every single cold open wasn't about what happened that week in politics. And we have seen that when you lean on that, it can sometimes be to be candid, like the worst sketch of the night. Uh, when they feel like they have to talk about politics. I think that is probably one of the weakest parts of the past four years, to be honest. Look, hopefully we're getting into a period where politics will be a little less headline grabby. Use that as, a, as an excuse to bring in new stuff to you know the cold opens. Or even if you have to be political, do something unconventional. Take Take the cabinet and put them in a different location. Or have them tell a fairy tale about it. You know, I don't want to hear someone go to a podium, repeat what happened that week, and then we go through like a bunch of impressions. That that feels like we, to Rich's point, let's use this as an opportunity to expand and do new things. And I think that includes starting off the show because I'd rather us start off with something weird yet strong rather than typical and mediocre. When was yeah. the last time a cold open had nothing to do with the week's events. I can't even remember what that's like. Yeah, I, I when, think it's when would that have happened? Yeah. When would it, that have happened? It's it's it would be during the Obama administration, for sure. Wow. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think what I would say, because I think you're right, we're going to do policy. I think that Lorne and gang believe that they have an obligation that the audience will be let down if such and such is not addressed. But but I would take that and say to the writers, you know, I wish we could have the challenge. If you don't have a take, then move on to something else. Exactly. Better to do, if you don't have a take, better to not do it at all. You know, instead of just, oh, let's do exactly what happened last week. It was the Electoral College. Let's, I don't know, I'm not a comedy writer, but let's have a college dorm sketch where we're casting our votes for Biden or Trump and what are the college tropes of that or whatever it is, because that's what we, that's what's going to make it sticky, not who's the biggest star or how close it was to the big thing. It's what the take was that is so different and clever that you can't have every week. And if you don't have it, that's when I say, yes, let it go and just do something else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All, all true things. Uh, Dave, you said that you want to talk a little bit of host for 2021. I know Rich likes sure. doing this too. So uh, give me any predictions you got. 
predictions. I got. I don't know if I have predictions. I got hopes. Okay. Hopes and dreams. Go for it. Okay. I, I have yeah. a couple of predictions, but I love to hear your hopes. My hopes and dreams. Here's uh, some folks. I've been scratching people down that are like, oh, you know what? How come they've never hosted? Why? Uh, Bob Odenkirk would be my number one. Mm. <laughs> Bob Odenkirk coming back to the show and hosting. He's got an action movie coming out. Uh, uh, um, uh, what was that? Better, yeah, better John, John Paul, I think, is coming back, too. But he also has a John Wick-style movie coming out, too, uh, where he's a suburban dad that uh, takes out some assassins. And uh, I would love to see Bob Odenkirk host. I'd love to see Jordan Peele host. I'd love to see Sasha Baron Cohen host. And, of course, Sudeikis. And Kristen Bell. I'll throw Kristen Bell in there, too. She should. She would do a great job. Yeah. Uh, Rich, what about you? I was going to say Sudeikis as well. I think when they bring back, I don't remember if Ted Lasso will be back uh, before uh, the season ends, but I think it would be great for him to come back. I think his work on Ted Lasso is bar none the best work he's done since Two A-Holes, which I give it to you guys. I agree. Two A-Holes is one of my favorites, probably because they stopped doing it before it became nauseating. And so, you know, the favorites, not Willie. What? Oh. Uh, you know, and then where I sort of my intersection of who I'd like to see, uh, who I think might come back, I feel like it's time for Chance the Rapper to come back as a host again. I, I we just had him as a musical guest, but such a great, uh, such a great, uh, uh, you know, him and Bruno Mars, I think were two of my favorite musicians who uh, who did hosting duties, and I'd love to, but I think Chance would make more sense right now. I'd love to see him come back, and I'll always throw in. It never will happen. Come on. When do we did they ask John Hamm back? It is yeah. criminal that John Hamm has not been been asked back in decade. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Yes, I'm looking at, you know, a lot of the major projects that are coming to 20, the first half of 2021 in particular. And it's interesting because obviously with everything being pushed back, there's actually some people who are coming out with projects that may have a return appearance despite appearing last season. I'm talking about like, Scarlett Johansson uh, coming back for Black Widow or even David Harbour. I think he did a fantastic job his first time out. He's also in Black Widow. I think that was actually maybe the the thing he was plugging initially the first time he went onto SNL. Uh, I mean, coming to America is happening. There's a chance Eddie Murphy could come back. But what I actually would love to see, I would love to see Leslie Jones host the show. I never thought I would say that, but honestly, she has been killing it. I have been watching her on Supermarket Sweep, and she is like one of my favorite t- game show hosts I've seen in quite some time, the energy that she brings there. And so I, I think she would, she would bring some really interesting energy. A Quiet Place Part 2 is coming out. I thought Emily Blunt was actually a very adept host, even if the, the episode wasn't very strong. And something that I really want, I don't know if this is for the beginning of 2021, but certainly the end of it, Eternals is coming out, one of the big MCU films. And I would love Kumail Nanjiani to come back. He's in that movie, super swole. I think he did a really great job the first time he was on, all the way back in like 2017, I want to say. And he's he's a stand-up, and he he did he he's a stand-up who can act as well. So I think he would be a shoe in to come back for fall of 2021 as well. Yeah, and one of the suggestions we had in the chat on Saturday, and Rich, don't you know? hold yourself together but uh you know bobby moynihan has a new sitcom on nbc the first month of january 2021 could we potentially be getting a bobby hosting in 2021 would be incredible bobby moynihan hosting snl in 2021 for me would make up for 2020 mm. what would you would you settle for ted danson hosting with a bobby moynihan cameo 
I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. I, Ted Danson I, I, hosting I, I would be great. I mean, yeah. I think that would be the more likely approach, right? It's like Ted Danson is now sort of like an NBC staple. It would make sense. And so maybe now Bobby can come in. Maybe he'll do the monologue thing of like, Ted, you haven't been out for a while. I'll help you get through it. Don't worry. And then yeah. John Uncle. Yes, that's very true. He, uh, yeah. Ted Danson hosted in 1989. So oh unbelievable. God. He's so good. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And through all the good plays he never hosted, which I'm guessing was his, it was his uh, decision, not theirs. Right. Um, well, this was really fun. It was great to talk SNL with all of you guys. I'm, I'm thrilled to have done it. And it was the perfect way to cap off 2020. Um, you know, maybe not outside of SNL, but at least on SNL to have an all star panel um, with all of you. Let me go around and ask you what you have going on. So Dave, um, I know you were teaching uh, sketch, uh, some sketch work over the last few weeks. So what else do you have happening? Yeah, well, you know, I executive produced Cold Town Theater uh, right there. There's Cold Town Theater. Uh, in Austin, Texas, C-O-L-D-T-O-W-N-E Theater. You can reach me at, at Dave Buckman on Twitter. Uh, my my dream is to have more followers than I'm following. I'm only 12 shy, so if this podcast can get me 12 <laughs> more followers, you guys will help me close this year out on a high note. That'd be great. We'll get you there. Um, Rich, what about you? What do you have happening? Uh, nothing super exciting. My day job is keeping me wonderfully busy. Still, uh, you know, we're, we're the storytelling world is trying to figure out the zoom of it all, but probably won't have much to talk about till we can get back into live theater. Okay. And, uh, Mike, you always have a, a lot of podcasts going on. So tell everybody where they can uh, hear from you. Yeah, I do apologize about that in advance. <laughs> it's the exact polar opposite of here. Exactly. It's just like the scrolling credits. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at a Mike Bloom type. As John said, I write for Parade.com. I also write for comic book resources, CBR.com, about all things nerdy. Uh, but I'm mostly doing podcasts, talking into this thing about nothing in particular week in and week out. The weekly podcast I have going on over on Post Show Recaps, I'm doing a weekly Lost rewatch series with the great Josh Wiggler called Down the Hatch. We started this back in August 2019. We are barreling down the end of season three right now, which for Lost fans know that is an absolutely dynamite, for lack of a better term, stretch to end <laughs> season three. We are having the time of our lives doing so. So be sure to check that out. If you were a Lost fan or you were into like two and a half to three hours of analysis and mindless prattle, be sure to check that out. I'm also covering uh, the, the third season of Star Trek Discovery on Post Show Recaps with the great Jessica Lee, which is rounding the bend into the end of its third season. And then, of course, from a reality TV perspective, I just wrapped up covering uh, The Amazing Race 32 in full on Rob Has a Podcast. And actually coming up, surprisingly, somehow a season of Survivor has been filmed in South Africa. And I'll be covering Survivor South Africa, which is coming in June uh, actually going to be having an interview tomorrow morning with the EP and showrunner about how the hell he was able to do that and what we should be looking forward to in 2021. So lots of stuff going up, even more new surprise projects coming in January 2021 that I don't want to announce right now. So yeah, keep tuned to social media if, if you are into the stuff that I'm doing, because I make sure to plug everything there. But there's so much, I'm very lucky that there is so much great stuff going on. And I'm so thankful for the opportunities I've been afforded. This one included. It's been two years since I've been able to talk SNL, but even when I don't like this stuff, my face lights up getting to do so. So thank you so much for, for bringing me on and talking with this lovely panel of gentlemen. Of course. And uh, let me just for 30 seconds ask you over under June 2021 American Survivor before or after June 2021. In terms of like they film or they... That it's out. 
Oh, that it's out. I mean, no, it's it's after. It's definitively okay. after. I think it's going to aim for the fall. I think that CBS scheduling has given them some trepidatious programming uh, to not feel like they have to rush a season through. So I bet dollars to donuts that we will have a season next year, but it's not happening until the fall. Okay. And um, yeah, well, like I said, it was great to have all of you, Mike. I hope that we roped you back into the SNL community a little bit. So I think depending on the host, I think I might check out, you know, when they come back, see exactly what they're into. Yeah, of course. Uh, we always love to hear from you and from Dave and from Rich. So like I said at the beginning of the show, for anyone who missed any of our shows, including the live stream that was really fun that we did on Saturday night, please subscribe to SNL Stats on any podcatcher or on YouTube to never miss a show. So uh, this is our last official roundtable of 2020. And you may ask what's coming up in the future weeks. So we have our super fan takeover where we have our wonderful super fans who have joined us over the last few weeks. They'll be playing some fun games on the podcast. We also have our by the number podcast coming up where we have our stack guru mike murray come and he does screen time recordings of every single person in every sketch on snl and we have a rankings where we go through the analytics to try and figure out who's really succeeding on the show so that will be fun to get into and maybe a couple of surprise interviews along the way until we get back to snl in january so for all of us, thank you so much for joining us on SNL Stats this week. Uh, happy holidays to everybody listening. Good night and have a pleasant week ahead. We will see you next time.